0: Good morning. Welcome back to the broadcast Retirement Network. This is BRN AM for Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. And our top story today, mortgage rates rise again. What's it mean for home buying in the spring? Joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, Carl Delmont is with Freedmont Mortgage. Carl, it's always great to see you again. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning.
1: Thank you. i always appreciate being invited.
0: Yeah, it's a it's always a fun conversation, Carl. Let's uh let's talk about um, mortgage rates. Uh, I, I would still argue mortgage rates are at still at historical lows. You and I both lived through the '70s and '80s, so uh, pr- pretty low. But we've got high inflation or continuing inflation. Uh, some mixed messages economically, and uh, Jerome Powell and the Fed kind of weighing in on when we could get rate cuts. So first. How are we doing in terms of the mortgage rates that you you are negotiating and you are seeing on behalf of your clients?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, February, we've seen rates go up just due to a pretty strong headline jobs number. And then, of course, two inflation reports that came in a little bit to the upside. So um, that's all given, you know, the markets and analysts a little bit of uh, trepidation about when and if the Fed's going to lower, as they said. So in November, Jerome Powell came out and said that he sees rate cuts in the future. Mortgage rates improved, and everyone was happy for about two and a half months. And then these numbers came out. So, but I, I think if you dig down deep into the minutia of those reports, you can find some evidence to think that the, the support effect. Maybe this isn't. Maybe maybe it is a little temporary, a little transitory. And the Fed still has some ammunition to cut rates. Maybe not. You know, early Q two, maybe later Q two or early Q three.
0: Uh, the the rates that we're talking about are the, is the Fed f- funds rate, and that is kind of the the lending rate to banks. How does this all translate to mortgage rates? Because I don't I don't know if there's a direct correlation, but there's a, probably a little bit of a lag. How does it? How does it? So if, when Jerome Powell speaks or the Fed takes action, when when so that's day one. When does something happen to mortgage rates? Is it almost instantaneous? Or is it a couple of days later? When do you typically see the the reaction to that?
1: Usually, the bond market, which is what affects rates, treasuries is a, is ahead. Um, so, typically, when you see the Fed lower or raise rates, it's it's already built in. You don't see much of reaction. It's when you get that surprise, as we've had again in February. You know, the, the headline jobs number uh, early January for the I mean, uh, early February for the January report. Uh, the headline number was higher than than uh, most were anticipating, but again, when you look down at U six and some of the other things that are going on there, and, and the fact that a lot of it was government jobs, uh, I think you can make the case that maybe that that report wasn't quite as robust as a lot of people originally thought. But then, literally a week later, you had the CPI came out, and that was not a lot higher, but a little bit. And then PPI came out last Friday, or, yeah, the Friday of that same week, and um, that was I think uh, half a percent higher than expected. But if you look at like the Philly and the Fed and um, what else? The Richmond manufacturing, Fed manufacturing indices, um, both of those are showing uh, recessionary warning signs. And when you look at the jobs report, that's more of, a, I guess what you call a trailing indicator. But when you look at the, manu- the Fed manufacturing numbers, those are more of a leading indicator. So I, I do think that at some point this year, the Fed's going to have to do something. And I'm not really as focused on how many cuts, but really the totality of cuts. So if they cut three times and it's 150 basis points or six times, it's only a quarter point. I think we have to look at that right now. So um, again, Powell's language is going to be what everyone's looking at. But to to answer your question, yeah, I don't think that typically when the Fed raises or lower rates, it's going to affect prime credit cards. It's not really going to affect mortgage rates. It's kind of already anticipated.
0: Yeah. Uh, So with that, let's talk about what you're seeing in terms of mortgage volume, because one of the things that you do at Fremont Mortgage is you help Perspective buyers get the best mortgage possible. So are you seeing a high volume? I mean, what, what has been the volume of deals, i know, call it deals, more new mortgages, um, relative to what you had experienced maybe in 2023? Are people still buying homes, I guess?
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, I mean, for us, late January, early February, we actually had uh, up for probably about 14 months, record amount of applications and volume. Uh, I think that when people think rates are going to come down, they react. But there's another school of thought where it's like, oh, they're going to keep coming down, right? And they continue to wait. Uh, I would still advocate for people that I, I think, I'm not a gambler, but for me, and I have no crystal ball, but I, I do think rates are going to come down. So I mean, right now, if if we fast forward, say six months, and the Fed lowers rates and the market anticipates that mortgage rates come down, it stands to reason that you're going to have a lot more competition. More people are going to feel confident, oh, I can afford it now. And basic supply and demand. If there's more people, prices probably go up. So if rates come down a half a percent, but home values go up 10%, is the payment about the same? Is, are you paying a little bit more? So, I mean, those are the things that people have to look at. And I think that, and I've said this for 30 something years, it, there's two things when it comes to buying a house. Obviously, you want to be financially ready. But the other one, and this is the one most people overlook, you need to be emotionally ready too. Are you ready to buy a house? Do you understand when you rent? You know, It's a nice day, you want to go out to the park with the dogs, no big deal. You own, you have to think, well, I guess I have to mow the lawn first. Uh, I got to rake the leaves, I got to weed, I got to, you know, all those other things. So with home ownership comes responsibility. And renting, you don't really have that. So I think when you're emotionally financially ready, now is probably a good time to at least get pre-approved. There's a lot of, about a third of credit reports have errors on them. So if if you have an error, we can fix it. Um, There's a lot of programs out there, grant programs. That allow people to buy with no money down. In fact, Maryland has a really cool one. It allows you to buy a house and pay off up to $50,000 in student loan debt at the same time. Each state has their own little nuances of programs like that. But so there's a lot of great programs. But again, I think now's a good time because you never know. Sometimes you're just looking on the computer and something pops up. You're like, oh, this is perfect. But if you're not pre-approved, there's going to be five offers, 20 offers ahead of you, and it's going to be accepted. You're too late to the game. So get pre-approved. There's no urgency there, but at least you know what's going on. And now if you buy today and rates do drop, you can always refinance. And at that point, it's just you in a queue, right? You're not competing against 15, 20 other buyers. So if you could buy a house today, get the equity and then lower your rate, yeah, you have closing costs a couple of times, but you are probably still come out ahead of the game. If again, you're emotionally and financially ready to buy.
0: Yeah, that emotional willingness and readiness, uh, really important on a lot of financial issues. Carl, I want to take a very quick break. When we come back, we'll talk more about the mortgage marketplace as well as the home marketplace. Everything's changing every day. You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN AM. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer. to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Carl, thanks so much for staying with us. Really appreciate you hanging around for segment number two this morning.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, let's, uh, let's talk some more housing.
0: Yeah, let's, let's talk about that. Before we get into this the home builder sentiment, which I think talk, speaks to the inventory, a little bit of the new uh, construction inventory of, of homes, I want to ask you about something you you picked up on. So let's just say the Fed cuts rates, uh, quarter point, 50 50 basis points, whatever, and it reflects into mortgage rates eventually, right? So there's a little bit of lag. We established that. What is really the difference in payment? Because you talked about this, but let's just say a median home is $400,000, $500,000. I think that's about right in the United States. What does that really mean in terms of what your payment is? Are we talking about $25, $100,000? $200, Two hundred dollars. What's the difference there?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, a quarter point on—I think the average home price nationwide now is about four twenty-seven. Uh, don't quote me on that, but somewhere in that ballpark, uh, a quarter point is significant. But you know, it's—it's it's like anything else. If you're buying a house, and let's say the taxes, the property taxes, and, and the homeowner's insurance, let's say that's a two hundred dollar a month swing, then it's almost like it's the same thing as saving a quarter point, right? So you really have to look at the overall cost of home ownership. And it's interesting because, you know, you look at California and Florida, which right now are sort of infamous for not being able to get homeowner's insurance. And if you can, it's super expensive and limited. So now there's all these articles on people who were, you know, the mass migration out of California to Texas and Tennessee and, you know, all these other states. And now you're starting to hear it about Florida as well. I just saw an article the other day where a lady decided to move back home in her late 60s to Virginia because she was tired of just... The property, the cost of insurance, and and or not being able to get it, and everything else. So it, you know, climate's going to be something you're going to hear more of. Um, when it comes to the cost factors, uh, you're starting to see uh FHFA, which oversees Fannie and Freddie, talking more about that. And and I think that's going to go into. It. I think it's going to become part of underwriting down the road. Like if you're buying a house in say Florida, but you're in the middle of the state versus you know two blocks from the ocean the one, two blocks in the ocean may have a little bit more tougher underwriting as things go forward. So the market's changing. Um, it always has. I've always joked that, uh, you know, accountants and CPAs, they've got a crazy life because the government's always changing the rules, right? So you got to stay on top of everything. But I think ever since like 2000, well, really 10, when Dodd-Frank uh, came out, Um you know, and a safe fact everything else. I, I think our industry has become something where we're continuously taking CE credits, learning about new things, staying on top of all the stuff so that, you know, you can serve your clients and your realtors better. But it's, uh, it's a never changing world. So
0: it is that Federal Register, by the way, which is where those regs are. It's like this. I mean, it is like, yeah. I think it's, it's a lot of volumes. Uh, Carl, let's talk about home builder sentiment. I think that's important because when you think about inventory, it's the inventory of existing homes, so people wanting to downsize, they want to move into a different home, but also building new homes. Uh, where are we with home builder sentiment? Are there home builders? Are they bullish? Are they thinking about building new properties so that people like me eventually will be able to buy a home?
1: Yeah, I mean, right now home builder sentiment is up, even despite rates going up a little bit in recent weeks. But I think it's because, um, in a very um, macro look you know, they can control inventory, right? Right now, inventory is still not where it needs to be on the existing home side, but on the new home side, assuming they can get the zoning and all the other things, um, you know, they can actually build to demand. So like if if you decided you want to sell your current house, but you know, you're not sure if if you sell, then you're going to be flip side on the, on the buyer side, competing with 20 other people. Well, going to a new home builder, you could say, Hey, listen, um, when would this house be ready? Oh, it's going to be ready in four months. Perfect. We'll put our house up for market in three months. This gives you time and everything else. So it takes away that little bit of that stress element, but there's also a little control feature there. Uh, we are seeing a little bit of, uh, paraphrase, the, you know, the, the grass shoots, uh, the green shoots. Uh, we're starting to see a little bit in inventory, but you know, what's interesting. I mean, you still have some Foreclosures that are tied up. So you have some states that are judicial states and some that are non judicial. So the ones that are judicial states, there's still some homes from like 2010, 2012 that were underwater that went to foreclosure. There's still some of those that are ha- haven't hit the marketplace yet. The other thing is, you know, there's a huge percentage of what they call um, like the hedge fund buyers. Um, that yep. came out when they're buying it. So now there's, there's two bills kicking around through Congress. One, I don't really understand. They want to charge $10,000 per house. If you have 75 houses or more to go into a fund to help first-time buyers. But if these hedge funds own 7,500 homes and they're not selling them, how's that money helping anyone? Cause they're not really helping the inventory by comparison. The other bill in there has, um, they have to dispose, they have to divest of the properties within 10 years. So 10 years isn't great, but it's also great because I like that concept because it's not flooding the market. It, I mean, one hedge fund could say, we're going to wait till year nine and do it all. But in, in theory, it, it should have a gradual approach and help it out. Uh, I think you're also seeing uh, to compete with the, the home builders, um, different municipalities that are looking to find ways to increase that tax base. So if you have old factories or Um, I've even seen in some malls now they're turning into senior living and and apartments and other things so if they can change the zoning and create like New York City I read there's um there's some kind of weird zoning rule there but one uh, developer has a skyscraper and he's actually going to make something in the middle of the building um, apartments. So the the outsides will be, the perimeter will be office space as it is now, but it's some zoning where we can get away with it. But, you know, you're starting to see vacancies in the commercial market. And I think that's what some areas are looking to do. Like, can we convert this to whether apartments or condos or townhomes, penthouses, whatever, and that will create more inventory, which should help the marketplace because the supply and demand has got to be a little bit more balanced than it is.
0: Yeah, uh, it's that elasticity that uh, economists always talk about. Last uh, question, Carl. Um, Let's talk about, It sounds like, you know, what you're describing, uh, I couldn't really go it alone. I mean, I'm a smart guy, but I am not an expert in real estate. And it sounds like what you really need is to have the right advocate, the right real estate agent, uh, the right mortgage broker, and also probably an attorney, uh, perhaps an attorney as well, who specializes to make sure that not only getting the best deal, but that the house is, is, is evaluated properly because... When we talked to, you, I don't know, many months ago, people were, were waiving their contingencies. That doesn't seem to be, be happening to such a great extent. But uh, you need to have the right professionals with you. And they, they bring value. You can't just go on an app and, and just say, oh, I like that house and just go in and buy it. Spend you a know, million dollars or $500,000. You got to have the right professional.
1: Yeah, I mean, to your point, what happens is there's a lot of people to go on the internet and just search for the lowest rate. Typically, my experience has been you're going to get the lowest service too, because they're catering to that person that's just tire kicking, doesn't know what's going on. Conversely, going with the right lender and the right realtor, you may actually not be the highest bidder, but you're going to be the winning bidder because the selling agent understands, oh, I know this lender, they're local, they're going to get it done. Uh, This internet lender, I've had three bad experiences. I'm not putting my client through that. And also, you know, good realtors will negotiate and figure some things out. Case in point, my oldest was looking at houses yesterday and I went out with her first time she's looking and, you know, we got her pre-approved and we're walking around looking at things. And uh, I chose a realtor for her whose family's in the construction business because somebody's homes in her price range are going to do a little bit of work. And we started talking about things. and To your point, the experts, uh, we noticed that the the one house was older, uh, built in like 1943, but- the ceiling tiles usually cover asbestos. Well, you want to get a special asbestos testing and that costs a lot of money. That could cost a buyer up to $2,500 just for that testing, but you don't want to live in a house with asbestos. So then we start looking at those things. Then I told her about it's a septic, it's on a, a well and septic. Well, the house is built in 43. If you maintain a septic, you might be lucky and get 30 to 35 years out of it. But even if both, if the previous owners replace it every 35 years, they're going to be due again. And in some states, the septic is just a pass fail. So you could have like a 12 month shelf life, but it could pass. Whereas you want to ask the, the the septic inspector, can you do a full inspection for me? Let me know what the shelf life is. Because a lot of people don't realize this, but if you're on septic, it could cost, like like I said, about $30,000 to um to replace something like that. So the big joke is it's probably the most expensive appliance people own if you own a well. You just don't think about it until you get that bill. Uh, the other thing, um, we were looking at another house with their brain afterwards, and it seemed perfect. Um, Bedrooms a little bit small, some other stuff. But as we left, literally eighty yards away was this whole entire um, power line, and I said, oh, I don't know you want to live that close to power lines." There's all kinds of studies about that.
0: Yeah, so- my wife, my wife would say EMFs, EMFs, right? The 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 waves coming and flooding and, and cooking you basically from the inside out.
1: So she kind of liked the house. But as soon as we drove in and saw that, I'm like, baby, it's not like you have to buy a house. Let's let's scratch that one off the list, too.
0: Yeah. Last question for you. I think I might have said the last one, but I thought of another one. How did you get your daughter emotionally ready? Like, is she going to be mowing the lawn or is she going to be, you know, doing all the things like she's she grew up in the business, seeing you in the business? And I'm sure you guys have had plenty of conversations. But for those parents out there, maybe in the same situation as you have an adult child, or children, and they're looking to buy a house, how do you get them ready for like, and maybe they haven't done, you know, I used to cut the lawn for, for our house on uh, Kathydale Road. Maybe they haven't done that. So how do you get them thinking about the roof, the lawn, the landscaping? Um, that's a big nut to uh, either pay somebody to do or do yourself.
1: Yeah, and, and so how we're handling it is kind of like I tell the girls I like coach in soccer. If, if you think you're not like it, don't think you're like the college, go on an ID camp anyway, go on a tour anyway, because you're going to be asked questions. You're going to see things so that when you find the right one, you already have that experience. You know what to look for, what to ask. Same thing here with the um, the housing, you know, we're looking at some homes. And to your point, I brought up lawn mowing. to first house. I'm like, you're going to need a ride on lawnmower, or you're going to have to pay someone. If you pay someone, you're looking at probably 80 to hundred dollars a week for about yep. seven week, seven months of the year. That's an added cost. Um, but if you do a push mower, it's going to be three hours of your life. And uh, you know, is it worth it? Whatever, um, you know, we looked at a lot of things. Uh, the one house doesn't have central air, so I said, okay, in the summertime, it's going to be really, really hot. And I don't know if the way this house is set up, you could actually add central air, and you probably don't want the units, but something to think about. And then she's like, oh, I can open here and get a cross breeze. I'm like, yeah, but you're about thirty yards from the street, so it's gonna be really loud. So there's little things that you get them thinking about. And you know, look, when you're buying a house, especially in the first time buyer market you know, unless you're doing very, very well for yourself, you're going to, and, and this is what I told her, my first few houses were probably less attractive than that, but they were in my price range. And I bought knowing it wasn't gonna be my permanent house. I fix it up, I sell it, buy the next one, fix it up, sell it. And that's kind of what you have to look at. I mean, there are some younger kids today who are fortunate enough to go out and buy a $700,000 newly built home, you know, from a builder. And if you can, so be it. But all I would say is, Make sure that when you're getting pre-approved, before you talk to a lender, do your own budget and figure out what you're comfortable paying and most importantly, what you need left over. And because we don't look as a lender, we don't look at your cell phone bill. We don't put that in your calculations, right? We don't look at your car insurance. We don't look at um, cable and Hulu and streaming and all those things. So you want to make sure that you understand at the end of the day, when it's all done, my net dollars, do I have enough that I can still go to the movies once a month or you know, go out to dinner or go out with my friends, still go on vacation. You don't want to be, what was the term when we were younger, house poor, yep. you know, and, and there's some variables there. A lot of people think, okay, I locked in a fixed rate. Yes, principal and interest are going to be fixed, but your taxes, insurance, those are variables. They can go up and everything else. Car insurance, everything's going up. So you need to really think about that and have that cushion.
0: Yeah, and don't forget savings, Carl, meaning the retirement. Got to think about tomorrow. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Make
1: sure there's money left over.
0: That's right. You got to be able to have got to be able to live and, and yeah, pay yourself uh, I yourself first. Remember, <laughs> I, that's absolutely. Pay yourself first. Coach, We're going to call you Coach Carl from now on because you are Coach Carl. Carl, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. and We look forward to having you back on the program again very soon.
1: I appreciate it. Always enjoy it.
0: And that wraps up this episode of BRNAM. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to? Drop us a line and don't forget for all the latest curated news and lifestyle wellness finance tech, So much more in all in one place. Check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content? Well, visit our website. We're back again tomorrow with another edition of BRNAM. We'll have a very special guest and a very important topic, of course. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe. Keep on saving. And don't forget, roll with the changes.